If you have your Bibles, would you take them and open them to Luke chapter 16? We're in verses 14 to 18. Luke 16, 14 to 18. If you missed either of the last two weeks, uh, can I uh, exhort you uh, to go on the website and watch those two messages? Michael just did an amazing job with the parable of the prodigal sons, plural. And he did that two weeks in a row. And if you missed either one of them, I want you to know his insight into the text and the grammatical insight, the, the, the literary structure, his personal vulnerability, all just wrapped, all wrapped up into two amazing, amazing messages that I encourage you to get and listen to. And it'll also get you caught up to where we are in our study through Luke. Now you'll notice in this morning, I'm going from the end of Luke 15 to Luke 16, 14. Well, what about 1 through 13? Well, let me, let me tell you what we're doing there. Uh, you know, I was in January, we, when, a year over a year ago, where we did the steward series. And if you were here, uh, we did a series on, on what it means to be a steward. We taught Luke 16, 1 to 13, just by way of refresher. It's the parable of the unrighteous steward. A steward is someone who's entrusted with someone else's goods and then manages those goods. And so we did the series this way because... As disciples of Jesus Christ, we're stewards, and we steward all that God gives us. Now, in that story, <coughs> excuse me, that, that steward, he was cheating his boss. He was stealing from him. And so the boss came and said, you're fired. Well, the time between when he was fired and when it actually took effect, there was this little window of opportunity. And what he did was he went to all the people who owed his boss money, and he said, how much do you owe me? $1,000. Make it 500 How much do you owe me? 400, make it two. And he, he cut deals with everyone so that when he was on his can and out of work and needed help, he could go to those people and they would return the favor. You got it? And, and the shocking thing of the parable is the master praised the shrewd steward. Always keep in mind, he did not praise his dishonesty. That was wrong. But he praised his shrewdness. How can I say this? He, he praised him because he took, what he, had in, he took what he had in a little window of time and prepared for his future. If I boiled that parable down, I would say it this way. A disciple of Jesus stewards what God has given her in this life for the life to come. That's the message of the parable of the unrighteous steward. And then Jesus ends that parable by saying, you cannot love God and love money. You can't do it. And when he said that, there was a group of people amongst the crowd who'd had enough. And so you pick that up in verse 14. Look in your Bibles. It says, now the Pharisees who were lovers of money were listening to all these things and were scoffing at him. Stop right there. So while he's talking to a whole group of people, there are Pharisees among them, religious leaders. They listen to this whole thing on the unrighteous steward. And then when Jesus said, you can't love God and money, they just flew off the handle. And it literally means, scoffed at him, means they turned their noses up. There's that physical, they, they, they just turned their noses up at him. They just disdained him. Why would they disdain him when he said you can't love God and money? Because the, the Pharisees had taken the Old Testament and they said, look, it says here that, that money or wealth is an indication of righteousness. Now, now we don't have, to go into, have time to go into this, but they skip a whole lot of the Old Testament to get that. But that's what they believed. And so they're going, you poor rabbi, literally poor 
You're telling us about righteousness and you haven't even got anything. And they were, by the way, wealthy by that, th- those days' standards. And we're wealthy, which shows you that we're righteous. And so Jesus launches in. It's just a little short section. The whole chapter goes on. But the part we're going to look at is just these four verses. And uh, I'm going to tell you this on the front end. It's, it's rather confusing. <laughs> it, it's, like, it's like Luke goes schizophrenic. And, and, and Jesus starts talking and he says this. Then he says this. Then he says this. And you kind of go, what did that mean? We're going to see what it means uh, in a moment. Jesus actually says some things that to this day, we can't be sure what he meant. <laughs> but here, here's where I'm going. Here's what we can be sure of. The Pharisees made a gargantuan mistake. Huge. They misinterpreted and misunderstood the purpose of the law. And because they did, we're going to see it in the text. We see it all through Luke. They missed the gospel. Here's the tragedy. I'm going to suggest that many of us, many of us, we misinterpret or misunderstand the purpose of the law. And if I can say this, stay with me, we miss the gospel. And you go, Lloyd, no, I didn't miss the gospel. I trusted Christ when I was nine. I trusted Christ when I was 20. Here's what I mean. If we don't understand the purpose of the law, we miss the fullness of the gospel. I'm telling you, we, we miss the extent of it, the forgiveness that's in Christ. We miss the security and the joy that's, that's in the gospel itself when we make the same mistake they did. Now, I'm going to tell you this. We don't have to make that mistake. If we'll just take this text and go, okay, what did he say? What, what did he mean by what he said? And what does it mean to me? And what does it mean to you. Let's stand together. Can we do that one more time? And we're just going to take these four verses. Remember this. Okay, get this. The, the Pharisees have turned their nose up at Jesus. You, you, you make light of the law. You don't understand the law. And then Jesus responds, verse 15, and he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is forcing his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a letter of the law to fail. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries one who is divorced from a husband commits adultery. You can be seated. Uh, After I finished a rough manuscript of this message, I want you to know I had a manuscript and I thought, "I, I think I got it. But there was a part of me that thought, I don't know if I could clearly communicate this so that it's clear in your minds. And when I get in this place, I want you guys to know my way of, this is, you know, everybody's got different learning styles. I I just have to see it. I got to see things. And so my mind just starts looking for some image, a graph, a chart, you know, something that just says, this is what's happening in this passage. And when I started that, I sat there and I went, what what do I see? I took out a legal pad, a blank sheet, and I just said, what's there? And I went, well, I drew a heart, verse 15. And then I drew, I said, well, there's law and the prophets. I drew kind of the law and 
I drew the gospel, law and the gospel. And then in the third thing on the back end, you know, verse 8, I just drew, I drew divorce, so to speak. And, and what I'm going to ask us to do is to go through this and see if you and I can't see the text. Because when I drew those four things, I deleted my manuscript because I just said, no, nah, I'm just going to see it with you and walk through it. So with that, I, I've got the chalkboard and I know some may not be able to see it very well, but I'm going to say what I'm drawing so you can see. Verse 15, first thing I did, I just drew a heart. Verses 16 and 17, I drew two tablets because what it's talking about there is the law, law and the prophets. And it's, and it's contrasting the law and the prophets. So I said verses and then I drew a cross. Versus the gospel. The law and prophets versus the gospel. And then how about verse 18? I, I'd said, well, here's, here's a man. Here's a woman. And here's a big tear in between them. Because they're divorced. Now... Image-wise, I, I go, there's the text. Boom, boom, boom. Let's walk through each one. Okay, verse 15. You know, the heart of that is God sees the heart. And when, when you think of that, it's rather terrifying. And this is the first mistake that the Pharisees made. They thought that there was a righteousness that made them right with God that was outward and not inward. There's their huge mistake. So, so, so God says, but I see your heart. Now, because they, they thought there was an outward righteousness that made them right with God, what would they do? Well, I, I'm going to put a word on this. Well, let's just obey. Let's tithe and give. Let's keep the law. Make sure we keep it all. Let's do the right thing. Got it. Let's do good deeds. Beautiful. And they just kept wrapping their obedience around, by the way, they kept wrapping it around their unrighteous hearts. You see that? It's a terrible way to live, by the way. Um, it's exhausting. It is so exhausting to, to, to think and live in a way that says, I've got to do the right thing to be right with God. I've got to make sure I keep this. I don't do that. I, and it just weighs and weighs and weighs upon you if you choose to live this way. I want you to think for a moment with me. Um, who, who is a character that we've just recently come across that smells eerily like the Pharisee? Someone who I would just say this. He did everything right. I mean, this guy was obedient to the T. But he had an unrighteous heart. Who is that? We just studied it. The elder son. And so Tim Kimmel says this, and, and I so agree and appreciate the way it's said. He says, you can miss the gospel by being bad, younger son, bad. And you can miss the gospel by being good. Either way. You miss the gospel. If you're good for the wrong reasons. It's just as, according to the text, detestable in the sight of God. As a guy who blows his money on prostitutes and alcohol. But you're good. Detestable.
detestable, detestable, both. Why? Because God sees the heart. Go to the middle section, 16 and 17. The law versus the gospel. The Pharisees and Jews understood that all of history is played out in two phases. This age, the age to come. Every Jew, every Hebrew knew this. They, you know, they know uh, there is the age when God is making promises. That's, according to our text, that's the law and the prophets. Old Testament. God said, I'm going to fix this one day. I'm going to send a Messiah. He's going to set everything right. See, when you're in the Old Testament, everything's promised. Promise. He's promised. When you get to the New Testament, what is it? Fulfillment. 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 Everything God promised the Old Testament is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Fulfilled. Promise fulfilled. And notice the text says, up until John. Well, what does John have to do with this? John the Baptist was the last Old Testament prophet. John the Baptist had one foot in the Old Testament and he had one foot in the new, so to speak. Because what did John the Baptist say? He stood with the prophets of old to say, here's the one who's coming. Here's the one who's coming. But he also said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You see, he, he bridged the old and the new. And so there was the law and the prophets and then the gospel of the kingdom, the fulfillment. So the gospel of the kingdom it's describing in these verses is the gospel as we know it. That Jesus Christ came, satisfied all the requirements of the law, bore our sins upon himself, was killed, buried, and raised again. That's the gospel of the kingdom. And so in this 16 and 17, you see this contrast between the, the law and the prophets versus the gospel of the kingdom. How about this? And everyone is forcing his way into it. Well, what does that mean? Well, quite frankly, we can't be dogmatically sure. Grammatically, it carries this force. That's in some way, those who, 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 who go into the gospel of the kingdom literally go into it with energy. It's, it's this sense of intentionality. This sense of zeal, Matthew actually says, they take it violently. It, it's strange, isn't it? Hold on to that thought and we'll come back to it uh, at the end. Verse 17, it says, not one stroke of the law will pass away. Remember this, keep it in context. They are accusing Jesus of making light of the law, of diminishing the law. Jesus says, man, you are so, guys, got it so off. You got to understand, not one stroke of the law. He's speaking in hyperbole. He could have said not one promise will fail. But he said, he didn't even go promise. He could have said not one word will fail. He didn't even say not one word. He said not one stroke. It's a little ridiculous in a way because what he's saying is, you know, it, it, you know, uh, those of you who are familiar with typology, serif, sans serif, you know, the, the, the serif has the little hook on it if, in typology. So that if you had the letter A, if you had the, the letter A like this, the letter A, this would be serif. That little thing, that's a serif letter. And so what Jesus is saying is, look, heaven and earth would pass away. It would be easier for heaven and earth just to evaporate than for one piece of a letter of the law to not come true. Oh my gosh, Jesus just holds the law and says, this is inviolable. And it will all come 
to pass. Now, heart, got it. Law versus the gospel, okay. How about verse 18? Did that feel like something out of left field just slapped you? You got to keep the context in mind. Always remember this one verse is in the context of Jesus uh, talking about whether or not the law is still in force. Not the ceremonial law, because when Jesus came, we, don't, we quit sacrifices, we quit festivals. The ceremonial law, ain't eh, no more. But the moral law of God, all his precepts, <laughs> Jesus is going, guys, you got to understand, it's still in force. And so, on this part of the text, if this helps you, you've just got to, you've got to write across it, example. This is an example. This is all it is. You think the law's not in force? Let me tell you something. When God said in Genesis 2 that a man and woman in marriage cut a covenant that cannot be separated, it's still in force. And so if you've divorced your wife and you've married another, you, you committed adultery and the same for, for, for a man that marries a woman who's divorced. You've committed adultery. He's just saying that's an example that the, pro, the, 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 the moral... Uh, are the, the, the moral underpinnings of marriage are in force. God meant it when he said marriage is unbreakable. That, that's all he's saying right here, okay? Now, having said that, I know there's a, there are a number of people in the room. When, when, when we get to that verse, and you might have been dreading getting to that verse... This sense of shame still hits you or a sense of guilt, remorse, regret. I, I want to assure you, see Jesus, keep this in the context. Jesus doesn't go into a theology, theology of divorce here. He doesn't do that and neither will I. I'm not going to do that. He's just, he just said this is an example that the law is still in force. Yet with that said, you feel that Shame, you know, whatever surrounded your divorce. Here's what I want to say to you. If you will stay in this text, and let's finish it out over the next 15 minutes. Uh, there is in this text, I think, tremendous hope. <laughs> Unbelievable grace. If we'll stay with it. Okay, stay with me on that. How do we make sense of this though? Okay, now I've got, you've got this picture up here. And some of you on the side can't see it. You've got a heart. You got the law versus the gospel and you've got divorce. This example of divorce on the far end. How do we put this together? Well, let me, let me, let me tie it together for us. Notice where the story goes. Verses 19 to 31. We're going to cover it next week so I won't go into huge detail. But, but by way of big picture, Jesus has just said these three things. And then in 19 to 31, he says, let me illustrate. So 19 to 31 is just an illustration of... Of this. How do we know that? Well, when you read the story, it starts off, there was a rich man. Hmm. Oh gosh, I thought we were talking about rich men. Yeah. There was a rich man who thought he was going to heaven. Now, why would a rich man think he was going to heaven? <laughs> because he is rich. Because they think wealth is an indication of righteousness. This rich man goes to hell. 
And when he's in hell, he looks up and he goes, oh my, my gosh, I'm, I don't want my family to come here. Would you send someone to tell my family so they don't end up in hell? And I want you to notice how the story ends. Look in your Bibles at verse 29. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Verse 31, but he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded. You know, in my Bible, I circle verse 31, Moses and the prophets. I circle verse 29, Moses and the prophets. And I draw lines back to verse 16, the law and the prophets. I'm just telling you, I do that because I go, oh, this story's connected. This guy that's in hell, he misunderstood the purpose of the law. And Abraham says, Look, they've got the law. They need to listen to it. And they won't end up where you are. And so the key that I think unlocks the text for us is this. We got to hear the law. And if I can rephrase it, I would say it like this. To hear the law is to understand the purpose of the law. That's what it is in, in this context, to hear the law. Now, I want you to think with me for a moment. I don't want anyone to raise their hand on this. But what if I asked you, what if I put a microphone right here and I said, I want everybody one at a time, we're going to line up and I want you to come stand in front of the microphone and I want you to tell us the purpose of the law. You got to do it in a minute. I mean, you just got to, just in a couple phrases, just tell us the purpose of the law. Don't raise your hand. How many of you could do it? Now, what if I told you that your life depended on it? I'm serious. Because the first time, some of you are probably going, I think I can. I'm going. What if I said, if you can't, you're, you're gone. Your life depends on being able to state the purpose of the law. How many of us could, could, could do it? What I want to suggest is, your life and mine does hinge on that. It does. Well, Lloyd, I'm not going to die because I don't know the purpose of the law. No, can I say this? When we don't understand the purpose of the law, we're not living. Not, not in the fullness. Here we go again. Not in the fullness of the gospel. Not in the breadth of Christ's love. We're not living in the security that comes from his life, death, and resurrection. If we can't state, if we can't say, here's the purpose of the law. Are you with me? So I do believe our life, our life, quotation, spiritually depends on this. And I'm going to answer that question. We're going to do it very quickly, it, it, very succinctly, I hope. We're going to start like this. We're just going to go to Paul, who answers the question. If you've got a Bible, go to Galatians 3.19. Galatians 3, verse 19. And I hope you turn there like your life depends on it. Galatians 3.19. Uh, when we study Galatians, well, we spend hours and days and, and weeks weeks in here and we're just going to spend a few moments this morning but we'll answer the question because Paul answers it what I want you to keep in mind before he answers it is this the law of God it's not just the ten commandments y'all it's all of God's moral precepts it's all that he commands and says it's all of that and the Bible says it's it's good it's sweet as honey it's altogether good and righteous it's just good I want you to know that is the nature of the law but what the law does in us does not feel good at all. But we got to keep in mind it's good and true and altogether 
righteous. Paul answers the question, verse 19, why the law then? It was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. It was added, let me say this, until the seed, until Jesus came. I've got a New American Standard Bible, and in my margin, I've got because of transgressions is literally for the sake of defining. So when you read that passage, it says this literally. Why the law then? It was adding for the sake of defining transgressions. It was added to define sin. Imagine you're out driving in the country and you're cruising along, I don't know, 55 miles an hour through the country, mile upon mile upon mile, and then, then you see a sign that's right there and it says 35 miles an hour. Did the sign make the law? All, all the sign did was say to you, you're a lawbreaker. That's all it did. It didn't make the law. It just showed you that you've been breaking the law for the last 30 minutes. You're a lawbreaker. Paul says in Romans 7, 13, don't turn there. But he says this. He says, why the law was given so that sin would be seen as sin and would become utterly sinful. So, so if I was going to stand in front of that microphone, the first thing I would say, if I was trying to answer the question, why the law? I would say, to show how sinful sin is. That's why the law. Martin Luther so clearly explains this. Quote, the principal point of the law in true Christian theology is to make people not better, but worse. That is to say, the law shows them their sin. So that they may be humbled, terrified, bruised, broken, and by this means may be driven to seek comfort and so come to the Savior. Please understand, men and women, the law was never given to make anyone righteous. It won't make, if, if the, Paul also says in Galatians, if that's why the law was given, then Christ died needlessly. The law was given to show us how stinking, ruthlessly, ugly, detestably sinful we are and sin is. I came across a statement back when we studied Galatians that for me, you know, this is some 10 years ago, but it just opened my eyes and I'd pray it would for you. If you get this, I think you get it, Okay. Understanding the purpose of the law. The guy said this. That which is free must be wanted. Just if you write it down, write that down. That which is free must be wanted. Have you ever gone into the mall? Well, you, you, you've probably done this. But imagine a different scenario for me. Let's just say you, it's Thanksgiving and you just ate three helpings of Thanksgiving. And four desserts. I mean, you just killed it. And you just... You just load it up, you know, and, and you, you go to the mall, you know. It's pre-Black Friday, but you go to the mall. You go in the food court, let's say. And when you go in the food court, someone walks up to you and says, Sir, would you like a piece of chicken? You know, and what are you going to say? What are you going to say? <laughs> oh my gosh, I don't want it. The gospel of the kingdom is free. But nobody, hear me on this. None of us would ever want it. 
We'd never want it. See, because, because to want it would mean that we would say, well, no, 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 I, I, my obedience gets me to God. You know, I'm, I'm in control of my righteousness. You know, I, I, I can't. No. See, see, that which is free must be wanted. And so God, in his great mercy, what does he do? He, he gives the free gift of salvation because Jesus paid the penalty so we wouldn't have to. Okay? He gives that to us, but he also knows that we won't want it. And so he gives the law. And what does the law do? The law just pounds us and just crushes us and just beats the self-justification out of us until you go, I can't do it. I can't live a perfect life. And finally, when I'm there, I go, oh gosh, you want this free gift? Yes, I want it. Right? But I would never, you got to understand, Romans 3, there's none who seeks righteousness. You understand that saying that we would never want it. In our fallen state, we'd never want it. And the law pounds us, pounds us. Do we want it? Flip back in your Bibles to Luke chapter 16. The second half of that, the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is forcing his way into it. I think it means when the law has beat the living daylights out of us, only then do we see the wonder of the free gift because Jesus paid all. And when we do, what is this? It's not, sir, would you like a piece of chicken? You just ate Thanksgiving dinner. No. This is, this doesn't even get it. But it's like the iPhone 5 and the, I want it. You know, I mean, you, you want it. Because the law has done its job. John Stott says it so well. No man has ever appreciated the gospel until the law has first revealed him to himself. Not until the law has bruised and smitten us will we admit our need of the gospel to bind up our wounds. Not until the law has arrested and imprisoned us will we pine for Christ to set us free. Not until the law has condemned and killed us will we call upon Christ for justification in life. Not until the law has driven us to despair of ourselves will we ever believe in Jesus. Not until the law has humbled us even to hell will we turn to the gospel to raise us again to heaven. See, so on our chart, we understand the, the gospel, understand this, has fulfilled the law. Okay, did, you, did he keep this law? Did he keep this law? Yes, 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 yes. Did he ever have an evil thought? No, he didn't. So the God, Jesus fulfilled the law. So that those who trust in him, look, we, I, I know my heart's dark and my obedience is not going to get it. And so I'm going to trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And when I do, I'm declared righteous. Listen, not just like an outward covering, but I'm given a new heart. And now my righteous deeds are not, I'm going to do this so that I can be righteous. No, no, no. It just starts flowing out of me because I've been declared righteous. I do good deeds. I do the right thing. I follow Christ. It's just my heart. It's Christ's heart being shaped in me and enlarged. It's righteous living because my heart's right. It's righteous because he declared it righteous because of Christ. And not layering obedience over a dark heart. Those divorced among us, listen, I said there's hope here. Verse 18 maybe just brought back that on you, you know, there's so much 
I'm going to make some statements here that I hope aren't hurtful or harmful, but instead are grace-filled but true. Um, if that verse brings that back to you, let me say this to you know, many of us in the room. Uh, you've been divorced, and I'm just going to exhort you to let the law do what it does. So if you sit here today and you go, I, I, I was divorced. That was adultery when I remarried. Can I say this to you? If that's true, then just let the law beat you down. Let it. That's why it's there. And as it does, you can go down and rather than go no and dismiss it, you just go, no, I'm guilty. Lord Jesus, thank you that you died for that sin and you forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. You see that? Let the law beat you down. Let it. Because then we appreciate and know and appreciate and love and grasp the gospel. By the way, think of it this way. Is there, is there anyone in the room who's ever lusted in their mind? I've got my hand up. I'm an adulterer. Jesus is not just picking on divorced people. This is for all of us. Anybody in the room ever known the right thing to do and you didn't do it? Detestable. You're detestable to a holy God. Yes, 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 I am. But Jesus... You see, so if we let the law pound us, what does it do? Gosh, it just drives us to the nail-pierced arms of Jesus who died for us. And so if you're divorced, please understand. Do you understand the gospel? Do you understand this? The gospel, do you understand that you're forgiven and cleansed? Even with the weight of the law on you. He's forgiven you of all your sin. Just as he's forgiven all of us. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. As our so what, I'm going to ask the folks to come down and begin passing that. It might take a few moments to get that passed.